This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everyone, it's that time again as we have another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast with me, your host Matt Tiles. I've been a little bit away recently with of course Adam holding the fort and of course being the host but of course I'm now back and whoever your side got on, whether it was a win, draw or loss that your side enjoyed at the weekend, we hope you enjoy this episode. Of course some of you listening may not know or be completely aware of all the results in the league this weekend so don't worry we have you covered for all the matches from League One this weekend. I can't do this myself as I'm joined for this episode by none other than Reading fan Johnny Hunt and Lincoln City supporter Chris Lamon, who probably both at the moment uh, probably aren't quite happy with how it's going at the moment, both for very different reasons. But of course, no doubt, absolutely ecstatic with with me here. So all things League One. How are we, gentlemen? All good, mate. All good. Looking forward to it. Come well. Yeah, pleasure to be back as always. To have you on, chaps, as ever. It's been a quiet week in League One. Lots gone on over the last time we recorded an episode, despite the FA Cup fourth round taking place. No side from the third tier, bizarrely, had FA Cup priorities as all 24 clubs are involved in this episode, too. And as we get down to business and as we get to talk about the sides and the games from the League One, um, sort of fixture list this weekend as ever just before we start and we repeat again and once more we won't apologize for this we thank you for your support so far for all our content as there will certainly be plenty more to come let's start off then with the first of the 12 matches starting off with Bolton they went away to Carlisle and really did the business winning 4-1 at Brunton Park Bolton of course top of the table now and ever since the result last weekend against Leighton Orr where Ian Everett said if he could swap all his players he happily would after their performance in the East End of London. But since then, they've had two wins against Cheltenham and, of course, against Carlisle. Two sides in the bottom four. Expected to beat them, but nonetheless have done so. They were tuning up with Zach Ashworth and Paris Magoma, putting them tuning up inside 36 minutes. Jordan Gibson threatened to come back for Carlisle, but in the final minutes of the game, Kyle Dempsey and Nathaniel Ogbetta on his Bolton debut secured the victory for Bolton in front of around 3,000 or so travelling fans. And in a way, in behind the goal at Carlisle, usually 
not very full, but Bolton certainly were able to do that yesterday as they travelled very, very well and got their just rewards. Chris, let's talk about Bolton, first of all. Of course, top of the table now as it stands, or sorry, I should say second um, in the table. It does feel like with the way the table is at the moment, with them sort of sitting just behind Portsmouth, that they have got um, two games in hand on Portsmouth. It does maybe feel like Bolton at the moment are probably in the driving seat to at least achieve automatic promotion. Very much so. Yeah, I think this was a case of back to normal for Bolton, really. For me, they are probably the most complete team in the league. They can, they can win in many different ways. They can see games out. Um, they can get the ball down and play quite lovely football at times, but they could also do the, the dark arts and the ugly side as well. For me, they are probably the best team in the league. And yeah, this game was, to be honest, as expected, I think, from both teams. Um, with five wins out of the last six games, of course, a little slip up against Leighton Orient, but back to winning ways since then. So yeah, I think I think Bolton really it was just as you were, and it's gonna take a lot to stop them. I really do think. Yeah, and of course as as well with um the, the result that Bolton achieved yesterday, it it's it's one of those as well. I think, you know, they are obviously looking for more reinforcements. I mean, obviously a lot of news is sort of developed over the last sort of twenty-four hours or so that they are linked with Aaron Collins of, of Bristol Rover. So he knows Ian Everett that they are looking for that extra man that they will fill to get them over the line for for promotion. Do you think they need to add a few more positions? Because as you said, they are a, a side in your eyes with a complete squad in terms of all the other areas. Do you think they need to add that extra push? Because it does maybe feel like with the way the league is at the moment, if they could get that extra option they would feel to make the difference, it might get them over the line because it's a very close sort of battle for promotion now this season, isn't it? Yeah, it could be the difference between automatic promotion and playoffs, I suppose, in their eyes. Um It'd be nice to have the resources to be able to do that. I'm sure most if that's the envy of almost every League One manager. Every League One manager would love to have an extra attacking option in their side, I'm sure. Um, but like you say, I think it'll be an element of if you can add some quality to get you out of the line. And we all know how how productive Collins can be in this league. So, yeah, big, big talk. Do they need him? My personal opinion is no. I don't think they do need him. But would he improve their starting eleven? An already super strong starting eleven. Yeah, he probably would. He's a great, he's a great footballer at this level. So, yeah, it'd be nice to have uh, have the means to do that. I'm sure for for many other clubs. But ultimately, yeah, I, I did. I stand by what I said in regard to Bolton in the, regards to them being the most complete squad. But I suppose you can always make it more complete, can't you? Of course you can, and they will be looking for any sort of advantage they can get. But there is some rumours actually that Victor Adeboyejo may actually leave the club. He has been linked with uh, Turkish sides and a couple of other sides from. Um, Europe. So that might be the reason why they are targeting Aaron Collins. Who knows, of course, we've still just a few days left of the trance window. Moving on to their opponents from yesterday, Carlisle. It does now really feel like for me, Chris, that it's a bit bleak and I don't want to be the bearer of sort of bad news or a bit doom and gloom for Carlisle fans, but it does look like now that maybe it's starting to feel like they're going to be in League Two again. It does look that way, I have to admit. Yeah, so that's just one win in 14 now. Struggling. They are struggling. And to be honest, they never were really in this one as a severe and kind of attacking threat. Um, even their goal had a, had a, an, a hint of controversy about it. Uh, of course, taking a throw in from nowhere near where the ball went out so far that the cameraman couldn't even keep up um, with, with play. That was quite <laughs> funny. Um, you kind of got to credit the intensity, I suppose, to try and get the ball back in play really quickly and, and, and catch Bolton off guard, and, and, and they did, but it's probably a little bit harsh 
on Bolton. That not that they need much sympathy. I think they're okay without that. But um, yeah, they just look they just look second best in in most games they play. Most, this one did have a bit of gloss on it in regards to two late goals from Bolton. It was two one for for the good kind of 15, 20 minutes towards the end of the game. Um, and but they just tend to come out on the wrong side of tight games. And to be honest, it's, it's not a game against Bolton that's going to dictate how they how they finish this season. You know, the, the result of this one was very much expected, I think. But it's it's those results that they will pick up against teams in and around them, which will be the making or breaking of them. And of course, in the last 10, 12 games or so, they have played a number of those teams in and around them and still not picked up the three points. For me, that's the probably a more more of a worrying sign than losing 4-1 at home to Bolton with two late, late goals. Well, you do have to say it does look really bleak for them. They are the side who have played 29 matches, so it would be the most in League One alongside a lot of other sides. And the side who are 20th in Port Vale, they've got three games in hand of them and there's a 10-point gap. So there is a very much potential for them to be very much cut adrift when, of course, Port Vale do fulfil those fixtures. We move on to um, Port Vale and we talk about their game against Portsmouth. Portsmouth stay at the top of the League One tree. Bolton, two points and two games behind them. Um, but Portsmouth won late on with a late Colby Bishop penalty. Again, up for debate with Abu Kamara going down. There was certainly a touch on Kamara, but whether or not it warrants a foul is certainly up for discussion. Um, I think with Portsmouth, I think they certainly had had a bit of a shaky start to the year. Back end of 2023, of course, they lost to Bristol Rovers on Boxing Day, followed by losses to Cheltenham and to Leighton Orient, which had certainly got the Portsmouth fans a little bit worried. I think the last time we'd um, done a podcast, it was when they actually were on the um, wrong end of a loss to Cheltenham. So maybe these last two games, away at Port Vale, away at Fleetwood, two sides in the bottom end of the table, they have had to show that grit and mentality that served them so well at the start of the season when they weren't maybe playing so great at times, but they just got over the line and got the victory. But yesterday, you know, seeing what sort of a lot of the, the, the reports and Port Vale fans sort of said was that it was in the first half one-way traffic. Ports are very controlled. They had good opportunities um, against Port Vale. And it really did feel like they maybe should have got the game maybe sewn up in the first half. But Port Vale rode their luck a little bit, came out second half, looked a little bit different. Um, and then obviously late on got stung in their eyes by um, the penalty. But of course, the game was um, overshadowed by the referee Craig Kicks actually being chased off the pitch. Um, by a very disgruntled Port Vale fan. Now, of course, certainly Chris, myself and Johnny can certainly say we have been disgruntled at referees, certainly watching our teams down the years, but can certainly say I've never had the need to run on the pitch and chase the referee, that's for sure. Luckily, there was no contact or any sort of um, abuse or any sort of um, altercation with the fan who, of course, it was quite dealt with, but it's quite a scary thought to think um, that that has happened, of course, given it is transfer season or the last few days of it. There is rumours that uh, Callum Lang is close to signing for Portsmouth, which I think, in the grand scheme of things, is actually quite a good option. I think you take out Kamara and Colby Bishop, I do think they need a bit more of an attacking reinforcement. You might say about Bolton, now they don't necessarily need Aaron Collins to be able to get him. I think Gavin White and Anthony Scully have not really cut the mustard for Portsmouth so far, as we know they well can. Certainly, you, Chris, you all know with, with Scully, certainly in his Lincoln days, there is a good footballer there, but I think with Callum Lang, he just brings a bit more of it, both the creative side of things and the goal-scoring side of things, more particularly more so than maybe the other two players. And I think that's something that maybe Porsche fans are sort of, you know, maybe crying out for a little bit. So that is something um, that I think is, is good for them. And of course, as well, there is links to Tom McIntyre as well um, of Reading, but it does seem as though of late that interest has 
sort of died down, but we are interested to see how that will um, develop. Of course, Andy Crosby, uh, as the Port Vale sort of head coach, will be hoping that his team um, can sort of just move away from sort of the, the chasing pack in the bottom four. Of course, they have got two games in hand on Reading, so they'll be hoping that they can win. So maybe not quite panic just yet. If they are to not make anything of those two games in hand, then there maybe is a bit of worry there as there is a three-point gap on Reading, who, of course, are in 21st place. Let's bring John in then, and let's discuss Bristol Rose's win over Oxford 3-1 yesterday. As Matt Taylor side ended a run of four matches in a row that they've lost, including the Norwich Cup defeat. They'd lost to Barnsley, Blackpool and Exeter, all by the odd goal in League One. But they certainly made up for it after beating Oxford, of course, in a, a game when they first met in October. There was a bit of a spiky affair with um, three red cards, if I remember rightly, or even maybe four. It was certainly one of the two. Um, no red cards yesterday, but there were four goals. Chris Martin, Luke Thomas, but Rovers 2-0 up in the first half. Mark Harris scored to pull one back for Oxford, but then Harvey Vale would seal the deal as Rovers would win and make it a 3-1 scoreline. Oxford, with that loss, go out of the top six. Um, Johnny, obviously, with Mr. Rovers, it's usually me who's talking about this. Obviously, a bit of a different um, voice to talk about them now. Um, ended a run of four matches without a def- uh, four matches that they'd lost in a row, sorry. One thing about Rovers under Matt Taylor, Johnny, I don't know if you could sort of deny is there is a bit of an attacking threat to them. Um, they'd scored in every game to him by Exeter on Tuesday, which was certainly a flat performance all round. But certainly going in there, it does look like that there is certainly more of a threat to them than what they were under Jerry Bart. Is that something that you sort of agree with? Yeah, but I think that was <clears throat> that result yesterday was a massive one. Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? You know, four games after, you know, we've talked about Joey Barton's uh, <laughs> approach on many occasions previously. And then, you know, that is come in and you're kind of like, it's different. And then you, you need results. It's results football, isn't it? That's the way we talk about it. But like, you know, that, that yesterday, you know, you create chances, um, you know, some good finishes. That now, you know, was it 12 points off the playoffs? Could they make it? it? It's it's all about momentum, isn't it? At this stage of the season now, you know, you're looking at 16, 17 games to go, whatever it is. And that result yesterday, would that, that, that give them the chance to move, you know, move ahead now and, and get that confidence and the momentum? Because you like you say, you, you create chances to score goals. That, you know, Oxford, you know, they, they, I think they're very inconsistent and, and you know, they, they haven't found that kind of momentum where, you know, they got on that run again and, you know, they're around the playoffs and they'll be around the playoffs as much as it hurts me to say that. Um, but, you know, Chris Martin is in Coldplay Paradise, isn't he? As we, you know, new extended contract part. I had to put the pun in there. Like 11, how many goals now is it this season? Is it um, 11 goals? The season, I think for you know somebody that's 150 years old now, it, it's uh, you know this league's proven that old strikers are good strikers, and that that never changes in football. You know, if you've got somebody like that that's a, you know finisher, and it was a, a great finish yesterday uh, from him. Uh, keeper was a bit questionable, probably on the third one. Um, Oxford had more possession. Possession doesn't mean much in football if you don't know. But that was it the uh, that. The Maidstone game, wasn't it? We go back into a different game where they played Ipswich, which had everything and everything and didn't, didn't score. Maidstone had two two chances and scored. Uh, that's that's the way it works. But yeah, I, I think I think now for, for Rovers, it's 
Um, Exeter away next, which is going to be a tough one because Exeter, you know, we've talked about how they were struggling and the last two games they've won, they, they've got that momentum now again. It's so, like you sit here one week and you say, oh, they're struggling, they're struggling. You come back on three weeks later, they've had a run, they've had two wins. It's so hard to, to, to fathom how is it going to pan out. But I think that that's a big game for both clubs next week, isn't it? And I think, you know, if Rovers win that, that will give them the confidence to go, well, we, we can, you know, 12 points sounds a lot, but in this league, three, four wins in a row and all of a sudden, you know, you, you're, you're, you're on the edge of the playoffs again. And, and, and I think, um, you know, the, the, you keep Chris Martin fit and, and they've got a chance, an outside chance, an outside charge of, of making them. Yeah, and it is interesting about sort of Chris Martin because he is someone who you kind of see he he's coming to, to Rovers at a time when he not had a club, so really didn't have that pre-season, wasn't able to really be in from the start. He's had to really sort of just be thrown in the deep end and kind of get fit as it goes on. So to get 11 goals, as you mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, in 19 games is a pretty good feat. And I think for someone who, you know, I've seen the matches, sometimes it can be a bit frustrating with Chris Martin. And I don't mean this with disrespect because you can't take away the goals he's got for him because they've been very, very important, some of them. But there is a little bit of him not really, you know, being that that type, that type of striker that I think he should be. You know, there are times where he doesn't quite link up with the play or really kind of benefit the team and can at times make us worse, but he is slowly starting to maybe mould into being that team player and fitting into the system rather than just sort of being in the team for the goals. Of course, he is a goal scorer, yes, but we know sort of in modern day now, if you don't fit into the philosophy of managers, that doesn't really necessarily guarantee you're going to keep sort of carrying on going. So whilst we sing the Rovers' praises yesterday, Oxford under Des Buckingham, I mean, we were on the podcast right, when we sort of first discussed his appointment from sort of Mumbai City, where he said that he was going to try and bring his own style. It was going to be entertaining. It was going to be good attacking football. You know, with Oxford, I think seeing their highlights, a lot of them, a lot of the time, they are quite open. They're quite a good attacking side to watch. Maybe not quite as free flown or as brilliant as what they were under Manning, but still very much have an appetite to go forward more than they don't. It's just defensively, they look a little bit more exposed, a little bit more open. With actually some Oxford fans seemingly saying that maybe Buckingham's under a little bit of pressure. Um, is that Two big games, isn't it? On Oxford at the moment, would you say about them being good going forward, but maybe being a bit swimping at the back? I mean, you know, certainly with this result in mind, given Reading have got them next week, I think certainly fancy your chances, surely, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, you know, they've got Portsmouth as well in the week. Um, you know, that's the big game. Then they've got us, you know, good old-fashioned derby uh, for, for us fans. You know, it, it, it's a, that's a big game. It is a big game because it's two local clubs. And uh, you win those two. You're on the up. You lose those two. The pressure's on again, isn't it? Like, and that's how you know the league's relentless. You you, you know you're playing two games a week sometimes, and then it, the momentum can swing very quickly. And you could fall out. From, you know, we've seen it. We talked about you know extra on the season when they were at top, and now you know they're they're picking up now, but they're down in twentieth. Wickham's the same. Things can change so quickly in this league. Um, Good or bad form wise, and I think has he has he improved things? No. Have they done better? No. Have they gone backwards? Yes, I think. You know, if, I think you ask not to fan, and that's not me being. Uh, no, no, no. I, I think there is the majority that, that do think that. To be fair, yeah, and I think you're looking at it because you're kind of going, well, 
yeah, they're still around there, but the performances like that, you know, that the game, Jesse, for a team like Oxford, that's a, a must-win game or at least a draw yeah. where they are in the league. And and to be beaten fairly easily, which I'm sure you like, Matt, but like I think, you know, it was, you know, Rovers deserved the win and dominated the game. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that I think Oxford, you know, they're going to have to work on. Um, and, you know, results count and pressure's on him. Yeah, certainly a lot of Oxford fans were quite sort of accepting of the result yesterday. Of course, probably did sting a little bit because, yes, of course, it's certainly not as local as, you know, the likes of Red or Swindon. But there is a bit of a rivalry with Oxford and Rovers, if you sort of know the backstory behind that. But uh, obviously, Rovers were able to get the revenge after the um, game back in October at the Kassam Stadium. Let's move on to a side that have been mentioned already in this podcast, and that's Exeter. Probably the biggest surprise result of the day yesterday. They won away at Barnsley. been going very, very well of late under Neil Collins. They've been a side at Oakwell who looked very hard to beat indeed, but Exeter raced into a two-goal lead. Jack Aitchison scoring against the side where he, of course, once was part of the playing squad. Reese Cole adding to it. Mal de Jevenet, uh scored late on for Barnsley to threaten to come back, but ultimately Exeter would hold on. Chris, I mean, obviously there was just talk a few weeks ago about Exeter looking like they're in a real relegation scrap. Suddenly they've gone right up the table They've gone from sort of 20th place to now 14th. I mean, it's quite bonkers to sort of say that, really, isn't it? I mean, and it just shows as well what a week in doing football for Gary Caldwell on his side. Certainly, yeah. Um, back-to-back league wins for the first time all season, which is uh, super interesting and impressive. I really felt like Exeter were, were going to get dragged into it. I, I'll be honest, I was surprised it took them so long to get to the point that it seemed like they were going to get dragged into it. But as you say, a, uh, a week is a long time in football. And back-to-back wins, and they've, they've shut up, and they look kind of reasonably safe now, from points-wise, in terms of pulling away. Um, anyone that looks at the statistics for this game might look at the, the stats on paper and think, "Well, hang on, Barnsley were a little bit unlucky here to, to lose two-one, had you know majority of possession, one point nine five xG compared to not point six one for Exeter, uh, sixteen shots compared to ten, but that doesn't really tell the whole story. You mentioned that." Exeter raced into the into the lead and they they started the game really well. They they, they had there was certainly a lot more of a kind of a front foot mentality than Barnes. He did really slow to get going. Um, first goal on 17 minutes, Jack Aitchison snuck in after some quite laughably poor defending from from Barnes, who had two attempts to clear the ball, couldn't, um, and he, he snuck in and good finish across the goalkeeper. And then at 31 minutes, uh, a real. A real class goal uh, from Reese Cole, assisted by Aitchison, so a goal and assist against his old team, which is always, I'm sure that he'll, he'll enjoy that quite a bit. Oh, um, <clears throat> but yeah, really good possession play by, by Exeter, working the ball around the 18 yard, 18 yard area, into Reese Cole, found himself a yard, touch inside, bent it around the goalkeeper, 2 0 up after half an hour, and then just before half time, Exeter actually had the opportunity to make it 3 0 and, and hit the post. So it was a really, really good first half from Exeter. And from Barnsley, from 60 minutes onwards, 0.5 of their 1.95 XG were created after the 60-minute mark. And Exeter's XG from that point was uh, zero. They had one shot, not on target from that point. But they were 2-0 up, so they didn't need to attack. But it was kind of throwing the kitchen sink at it from a Barnsley perspective from 60 minutes. They had a goal um, disallowed for offside. They also hit the bar. Uh, Phillips, thunderous strike from Phillips. So... And then too little too late, you'd, you'd expect with an 87th minute goal from uh, yeah, Malja, Zizemene. I think Barnsley will probably be kicking themselves here because 
you'd expect them to get get something out of this game if they were one 0 down at half time. Maybe uh, I think two 0 down. It's a long way to come back. Not many teams do come back from two 0 down. So they had a good old go, but I think credit to Exeter because you look at those statistics, but you think well they they probably wouldn't play quite so um, defensively and quite so solidly and risk averse unless they were two 0 up. Uh, so. It's huge for Exeter. Those two wins on the bounce is going to give them a real confidence boost. And I don't think it was a derailed Barnsley, to be honest. They, they'd only lost one in, in 17 going into this. I can't see that changing too much, though. An away game at Bolton next week might be a challenge as well. Um, I think Barnsley will continue to be fine, and particularly at home. It was just... Today was about Exeter, I thought. I thought they were really good. Deserved their first their, their two-goal leads, and then they, they saw the game out quite, quite professionally, despite... A bombardment uh, in this last half an hour or so, um, without anything massively clear cut. It must be said, there's you know a couple of nothing hugely clear cut, but just a lot of pressure. But they held firm for the uh, vital three points. Yeah, we'll go on to Barnes in just a sec because you know they are starting to now become a real more consistent side and really are emphasising, aren't they? Why they are going to be, I think, a side in the top six. But you look at X, I think there was one start, one stage where they were very decimated by injuries. They've got a very much now healthier squad. It looks a lot better for selection. They've actually now very much got a, a, a squad that's got good depth behind it. You know, ever since they got lost at Bolson, it was almost the lowest point of the season. They have actually really improved. I mean, you know, yes, they conceded three to Red and, and then they've conceded two to Blackpool. Since then, they've only conceded sort of, you know, one goal against the likes of Stephen is they got a draw against. Obviously, beat Bristol Rovers on Tuesday, and obviously you can talk about how bad Ravers were, but you've got to give Exeter a lot of credit. They've won away at Barnsley there. There has been some sort of improvement without maybe till they played Bristol Rovers, the recognition for the improvement, whereas now they're getting the results to back that up, aren't they, Chris? Yeah, the results are evidence of the hard work, aren't they? Because they were they were poor, they like say, decimated by injuries and performances kind of showed that. They looked they looked a step below, to be honest, for, for, for a number of weeks and then you know, if you're on a bad run, confidence is shot as well. So as soon as you can see the goal, you know, heads drop, it's really difficult to kind of get back into the game from that point. And there, there had been a real kind of marked improvement in performances. You're absolutely right. But you're right as, as well in that they don't get you don't get a lot of notice for that until you, you start to see W's in the column. And yeah, I think that's going to do so much for them. Uh, I was concerned about Exeter. I really was. It looked like they were destined to be dragged into a, a relegation dogfight and I think the, the majors have drug themselves away from that I think you know they've got a relatively young squad on the whole as well and I think that that's a real challenge for young players is being in, in the, the kind of high pressure situations of a, a relegation battle if you're just far enough away to it that you can play your own game and, and you can play the game that you've been coached and, and, and keeping away from those high pressure situations where you know every point is valuable but it's not the end of the world if you don't get it I think that you can then start to see the best of them if they get dragged into it then I don't know if it's necessarily the steal there to, to keep them out of it, but as it as it stands at the moment, they're, they're back on track. Quick word on Barnsley, Chris. Obviously, you know, for me, they've been very inconsistent. It's only probably to the end of the year, start of the new year. Now you're starting to really see why they're going to be a side, I think, in the top six. I think the team is very settled. I think there's a good sort of balance to it. They, you know, you said there at the end, they're very much, they can bombard. They can really sort of, create so many chances in very such a short space of time. What do you sort of make of them and their sort of prospects? I mean, you know, they're not really talked about in the conversation for the top two. I mean, they're not out of it by any means. But do you think that there are just, you know, as they say, four stronger sides than them at the moment? I mean, they do look for me like a side pretty sure of a place in the top six. Yeah, I think I think they're definitely playoff contenders. Uh, I also agree with you. I feel they're probably just not quite there 
in regards to automatic, just that consistency. Um, they do have a mistake in them, you know, like comparing to say Bolton, who it's very, very rare Bolton will concede a goal, which is which they've kind of gifted to an opposition. An opposition scores against Bolton. There's either some, some sort of controversy about it, or that it's it's a really well taken goal. Whereas Barnsley have got the potential just to have a little lapse of concentration. Of course, this was evident against against Exeter yesterday as well. Um, so I think they're definitely good enough to be in the top six. I think they're. I, I, I can't see them dropping out of that now. They're, they're, they've got individuals in that squad that they've got no right but in League One, and a bit of extra, a bit of consistency growing into their game now, despite the result against Exeter yesterday. Yeah, I think they'll be there or thereabouts, but not a prom- not a definite promotion contender for me, but definitely a playoff contender. Well, let's move on to Wigan 2, Stevenage 3. With Oxford losing yesterday, Stevenage leapfrogged them to take the last playoff spot as it stands with, actually, a game in hand on Oxford. So they could open up a three-point gap if they were to win their game in hand. Stevenage are a team, I think, in League One that really do ruffle the most feathers, don't they? Because <laughs> Wigan certainly felt the uh, sort of Stevenage and the Steve Evans sort of team that he has. Look, Stevenage, people criticise them and they can say that they play this direct style <laughs> Excuse me. That they're very get the ball forward. They're they're very you know aggressive sometimes in how they make tackles, and that they're they're not the nicest to play against. But with the squad that they have and the way that Evans has built that team, it's designed to do that. You know you can't really knock them for it. You know players like Carl Piergiani and you know Louis Thompson, people like that. You know they're they're real sort of grafters. They will get sort of stuck in. They put their body on the line, and I think it it really can help if you have a real. Solid defence. They've got the third best defence in the league. Only Portsmouth and Bolton have conceded less than they have. And I think that is really what's going to go a long way. And I think having a strong defence is a real key reason, particularly this season in League One, why I think you could potentially make a case for Stevenage being in the top six. And to think as well, the mentality of that group is pretty good, given the fact they were down um, twice in the game. They went a goal down with Josh McGuinness on the penalty spot. Jamie Reid emphasising for me why I put him in as... Um, one of the top strikers in the league. He is joint top goal scorer now with Devante Cohen. Alfred May on 16. He's at 20 this season. Taylor Erzgore, uh hit the second for Wigan in the 38th minute. Carl Piaggiani with a header, scoring for Stevenage. I mean, the only goal he seems to score is with his head, isn't it? The Stevenage captain. And Louis Thompson popped up eight mi- uh, sorry, nine minutes from time with the winner. Uh, following off from his goal, he got against Portsmouth a few weeks ago. But there is a bit of controversy surrounding... Um, the game because right on halftime Wigan thought they'd gone 3-1 up when Charlie Hughes would put in a ball into the back of the net which was a judge to have been a shove which I've seen and to be fair it does look like it is a very soft foul but in this day and age you're probably going to get penalised for it so I can completely understand of course Adam's um, frustration of course Adam Pendlebury is a regular with us on the League One podcast certainly he vented um, his frustrations and the same with Stevenage in their approach but I think for me, they're going to be in and around that top six. I think I just can't see them dipping off. I think they're very consistent. They're very solid. They're not the nicest side to play against. And a lot of sides don't tend to come away and really comfortably get past them. They're well set up, well coached, well organised. And they have got players who can that can score, that can create. There's a real good feel about that team. So I think right to the very end, they've got a very good chance of making the top six. And of course, it was a milestone yesterday. For Sean Maloney celebrated a year in charge of Wigan which didn't end well, as, of course, they were beaten by Stevenage. And, of course, their five-match unbeaten run ended, but no doubt for Wigan, of course. Uh, you take into account, actually, if they 
were able to have their sort of eight points that they had deducted, they would be uh, in ninth place, actually, above Northampton. Very much having a little tilt at the plus, but of course, given they had such a disadvantage, it was probably never really on the cards. Uh, let's talk about Derby County. They squeezed past Cheltenham, winning by two goals to one. Cheltenham were in front with a goal from Liam Serkham, who's really found his score and touch under Daryl Clark. And of course, he knows well from his days with Bristol Rovers, now with him at Cheltenham. Max Burr scored a wonderful free kick on the hour mark to make it 1-1. And then James Collins, who is in very good form for Derby, four in his last six, despite criticism from the Rams faithful, saw him get the match winner and saw Derby stay in fourth, just one point behind Bolton in second and three off Portsmouth at the top of the standings. Johnny, talking about Derby, first of all, Paul Warns football. If you're a fan of Derby, you're probably not liking some of the play that they do have. But Paul Warns certainly doesn't care because he can back it up because of the success rate he's had in League One with Rotherham. Um, before, of course, he took the Derby job just over a year ago. Um, it isn't pretty, but he certainly instills that mentality, doesn't he, that you know, you've got to get over the line. You've got to win games and you're not looking pretty. And certainly that is what Derby, I think, are probably the strongest that compared to maybe the other sides in this league at the moment. You know, Portsmouth were that. But I think Derby maybe just trying to take that tag of winning ugly, I think, at the moment. I mean, it's not pretty, but it's effective, isn't it, Johnny, with how uh, Derby playing the full wall? What a point, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, they played us in the week and they were awful. And, and you know, we, we got a 1-0 win and... They didn't create much. And yesterday was much the same. Cheltenham actually dominated the game. And they, they probably, you know, they, they had chances to, Circum should have probably scored before he got the goal. Um, you know, and against us, it was it was hard work. Yesterday, it was hard work. But when you've got a squad like Derby, then you've got quality players that, you know, the Max Bird's free kick was superb. The finish from Collins was superb. That's what gets you up and out of this league, any league, you know, that's, that's, that's finishers, you know, Cheltenham would be very frustrated that, that they couldn't have got, at least got a point out of that because they probably deserve that. Um, I just, I'm, 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 I'm again, we, we've talked about Derby. I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I, I just, for what they have squad wise, player wise, I just don't see that they're good enough. Like you talked about Stevenage and Stevenage for all their, they're unified. There's a, a mentality, and there's a fight, and there's a whatever. I just, yeah, Do like you, you know, I think that they're playing a little bit sort of beneath themselves. That kind of what you're trying to say with sort of the players they have. Is it maybe a style difference compared to what they have? Is is, is that sort of what you're trying to say? I think it's it's it's, it's style, or is it um you know team they they can be easily bossed by team like Cheltenham and Reading. Well, you know, we're both in the bottom four. Um, especially you know at home yesterday, you know a side that you know have been really you know struggling big time, and Cheltenham dominated the game. But it was two bits of quality that won the game, and that's what you know that's what good sides do. They have quality uh, finishers, um, but you expect more from from Derby County with the players that they have. Um, you know the the big names. Uh, like you know, from watching the game the other day, they they offered very little against the very young Reading team. Um, yesterday, I kind of call it they got out of jail. To be honest, um, something you know we've talked about Paul Warren and 
I just something something doesn't seem to work. I don't know what it is. It just there's a you know, you look at the depth they have, the, the players they have, and maybe they'll add to that, you know, in the transfer window. Um but I, I can't see them, you know, yeah, they're up there, but I, I can't see them being in the top two. I just don't think they have that that factor, that united squad team. Um it almost is like, oh, we'll wait for somebody to do something for us. You know, and you look at Seabridge mentality, they they play as a squad and a team and it's hard and it's dirty, it's whatever you want to call it. But they're all in it together and they're fighting. And I look at Darby and I'm kind of going, is that there? Is that mentality, that siege mentality that yeah, they got it, they got lucky yesterday. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. They got lucky against, you know, obviously a very, you know, poor team in Cheltenham who gave them a game. How are they going to, you know, they have to up the game against the bigger teams because there's like, what, 16, 17 cup finals now for them if they want to get out of this league. Or will they fade again like they've done previously? So I, I'm, I'm not convinced by them at all. I, you know, two bits of quality got them out of the, you know, got the win yesterday, but that was it. And it is interesting you say that about your the perspective on, on sort of Derby because he, he built that image at Rotherham, having that real team spirit, the sort mm. of, you know, against all odds mentality, very different kettle of fish to what he's gone in at Derby, but he obviously does like doing that. But let's sort of move on to Cheltenham. I mean, they've had a real good fist of it under Darren mm. Clark, haven't they? I mean, fell short yesterday. If you, from obviously seeing the game, if they played that well and got nothing, you worry about them if they don't play well. It just looks for me that seven points adrift, they have got two games in hand on some sides. I mean, it's starting to look like maybe now it's going to look a little bit bleak for Cheltenham. I mean, I wouldn't say they're completely gone. I do think they can survive, but it just looks like it's going to be a little bit tough for them now. I think it's getting to that stage where maybe League Two is probably going to call for them. When it looked like they could get out of it, it was always going to be tough, but at least they've made it a lot better than what it could have been anyway. Well, What's your kind of consensus on that? Because maybe to me, seven points adrift, it's looking a bit bleak. Yeah, like, you know, you, know, you start running out of games, don't you? Now, like, I think, you know, once we get the transfer window out of the way, I, you know, it, it, well, people are then stuck with what they've got for the rest of the season. Um, when you're struggling, like we said before, luck doesn't go with you. Um, but they could take spirit from that game, the fact that they, they fought and were better than one of the, the top teams in the league. So if you're looking for positives as a squad and as a manager, and they've certainly improved from, geez, when we talked about them earlier on in the season, where they're at and where they've gone, can they can they do that again? But results matter now at this stage of the season. Is it, The games are on countdown mode at the end of the season. You know, seven points behind in September isn't that bad. But when you get into February... Pressure and the mental side of the game starts kicking in where, you know, it's kind of must-win games start kicking in. You've got to beat the teams around you. You've got to pick your points up when, you, when you're playing well. Get a point yesterday would give them a massive boost for the rest of the season. They didn't. They're losing, you know, the goal went, second goal went with nine minutes to go. Does that then have... Then it's up to the manager. The manager then has to get his players and go like... Pick the positives rather than the negatives and look for the next game for them and see if they can bounce back. But it, it, it's tough for them. You know, that gap, three, you know, you, you need to get three wins and then hope others don't. And, you know, it's it's tough. I, I think you're starting to see now the 
where the table's going to be at the end of the season, pretty much. I, that's harsh, I know, but... Um... Well, I mean, you've got to bear in mind as well the fact that they have still scored only 20 goals and it just looks like with Cheltenham, really, there's not going to be many occasions where they're probably going to score at least more than one yeah. um, in any sort of match, of course. And they have lost Will Goodwin already, so maybe there is concern that they might not replace him, but I do expect Cheltenham to be busy right until the very end of the transfer window. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Moving on to Northampton against Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury this week appointed... Paul Hurst, former Grimsby head coach, and of course back for a second spell at Shrewsbury, of course. It was given the big billing as sort of a second term as the Shrewsbury head coach, because it was so close to the championship uh, in 2018 before he departed to go to Ipswich. So what we're talking, five and a half years or so after he left, he's come back uh, after replacing Matt Taylor, who was sort of given the sack, which isn't a great surprise, to be honest, I think, given how pretty poor Shrewsbury had been this season, Chris, there looked to be more of an attacking field yesterday and they got their just rewards. Daniel Udo and Che Dunkley with two second half goals saw them record a victory against Northampton who'd achieved 10 points from their last 12 possible before this. So again, we talk about Exeter winning at Barnsley being a major surprise. Not the same one on this scale, but still a surprise nonetheless. I mean, we'll talk about the performance yesterday, but first let's sort of talk about Paul Hurst, of course. He was manager of Grimsby, of course, one of Lincoln's sort of big rivals. Um, Taking that away, what do you make of the appointment of Paul Hurst? I think he looks like someone for me, you as a player would like to play for. I think he can really motivate you, can inspire you. And I think he very much sort of says it sort of how it is. He's had a bit of a mixed bag in management, isn't he? Um, what do you make of him going back to Shrewsbury? I'm quite surprised by the appointment because I certainly for one was a little bit thrown off by sort of a left field appointment as him. But when you know what his history is with Shrewsbury, that doesn't count as a big surprise. Yeah, I, I think he suits them, to be honest. And, and sometimes it's not necessarily about the level that a manager's been at before or or recently or the, the trajectory their career appears to be on. Sometimes it's just about being a good fit. And I think what happened at Shrewsbury this season is there's, there's been quite a lot of negativity and a growing negativity around the place. Um, not even recently, of course, six losses out of the last seven games doesn't help, but um, they, are bo- they were bottom of pretty much every attacking metric. Anything you, you, you can measure, they are almost... Um, every single one that they are at the bottom for. Defensively, pretty solid. But I think as a supporter, certainly doesn't really inspire you too much. And I was getting, again, similar to Exeter, um, I was getting really concerned about 
Shrewsbury because they were getting worse and worse and worse in regards to their attacking output. Um, and you often say, well, they're, they're small enough to stay in games, so it's not like they're going to get, get dragged into it, but they were then getting on the back on the wrong end of tight games on, on the back of that. And yeah, so the, what they've really struggled with this season, for the whole season, is just goal output, creating chances. And there's been so many games this season where their XG's been under one, uh, sort of like three quarters of their games, they're just not creating enough. This game, Paul Hurst comes in and he's just added something. I think there's two elements, isn't there? There's, there's the, the real positivity of, of what happened last time, getting so close to the championship. Of course, Paul then got his big move to Ipswich. Um, so it's not like it kind of went sour. He, he left on really positive terms at Shrewsbury. So, of course, welcome back with, with open arms. And just a huge result yesterday, but uh, a change to a four back four um, after moving away from a, the, a pretty rigid back three that they've been with pretty much the whole season. Two, well, 1.97 XG, 19 shots, nine on target. Like, it's just polar opposite compared, compared to pretty much every game this season. So they were... Quite honestly, really good value for the win. They were by far the better team in this game. Northampton will be disappointed with their performance, just a bit passive for the majority of the game, really. Um, Shrewsbury really built on the defensive solidity that they've had and allowed a bit of freedom, a bit of positivity to, to show. Um, Chipley really impressed in this game, had a bit of freedom to get further up the pitch playing left wing rather than left wing back. They were just genuinely good, to be honest. And therefore, it's, it's similar to Exeter, they're kind of far enough away from the relegation zone to play without any real fear. Um, but it, I think it's just really refreshing for, for Shrewsbury fans to see an attacking performance with, with, with some end, end product. Daniel Udo is, is key to them. He obviously missed a few games recently. So him back in the team, in addition to Paul Hurst coming in and just giving a real lift to the whole the whole place, the whole squad, really. So, yeah, for me, this was very much about Shrewsbury rather than about Northampton. I think it was just a real, real upturn in, in so many ways for them. Yeah, and I can't remember the a time this season where Shrewsbury actually scored two this season. I don't know if it's the first time they've done it away from home or it's one of the very few occasions. But nonetheless, a big win. And certainly Paul has gone in there early and made the best impact possible. Moving on to Wickham 2, Fleetwood 2. It looked so good for Fleetwood, didn't it? 31 minutes in, promise on a chair, eh? And then Jaden Stockley put them 2-0 up. But Wickham and Adams part, which you would have sensed that would have been pretty toxic at halftime, uh, had promise on a chair not been sent off. In the fourth minute of added time in the first half, Wickham's second half came out like a wounded animal. They probably thought we couldn't have played much worse than that against the side in Fleetwood Rock Bottom and out of sorts. Luke Leahy or Leahy, whatever you prefer, missed the penalty eight minutes into the second half. Gareth McCleary would take the next penalty and would score. And then Richard Kone signed in January from non-league. He's had a very interesting backstory in the Ivorian. Scored late on to get Wickham a point. Now, I'm I'm convinced by this. The runner form Wickham have been on one win in 13. I think if they would have lost that game yesterday, I think that Matt Bloomfield could have maybe got the sack. I know with Wickham, they are a club who are quite fiercely loyal to sort of ex-players. Ainsworth got so many years, of course, when he nearly took them out of the Football League, of course, what we're talking, nearly a decade or so on. But with Matt Bloomfield, of course, it's a different scope now, isn't it, football management? If you're not delivering, the fans are unhappy. Things say a lot. But I think with Wickham, there's different things to maybe look at. They are, as I mentioned, very loyal. And with Matt Bloomfield, who's up there as one of their most highest appearance makers, I think, in their history, I'm, I'm right in saying, that maybe is that he gets a little bit more credit because of what he's achieved and how he went through the ranks of Wickham and all the modern-day success they had kind of has been with him. So maybe on that, that might have not been the case. But if you're certainly Fleetwood, you're going to be absolutely shocked you haven't got anything. And again, it's 
mistakes that lead to their own downfall. You're tuning up in a nice position. 2-0 at the best of times is quite a vulnerable lead because it takes one goal for the opposition to get back in, as everybody knows, and that just lifts the team that's behind. And when you go down to 10 men as well on the side, go and get a goal that you're facing, that really just makes things a little bit more anxious. You may be starting to feel like the walls are closing in. You're mentally a little bit sort of scarred. And, of course, for Fleetwood, it's now 12 without a win. It's their first point under Charlie Adam. But when you have the game in your grasp and you don't get anything that you feel like you should deserve, rather than only a point, it makes you think that maybe um, that their days do look like they're probably now numbered in League One as they are looking very bleak now. And probably have to say a lot of fans in League One certainly think maybe them and Carlisle are already gone. But, of course, if they prove us wrong, they prove us wrong. Let's move on then to Blackpool against Charlton. Charlton, of course, sacked Michael Appleton this week. Of course, they've gone um, 10 without a win in League One. They'd slipped all the way down into the bottom 10 of League One. When you talk about the sort of expectation a lot of people had on Charlton this season, it's absolutely shocking and pretty sort of astounding, really, that they are down there. But it is... What it is, Curtis Fleming in caretaker charge. Um, got a good draw yesterday at Blackpool. Karamoko Dembele is proving the point why he's one of the best midfielders in League One um, as he put them in front in the 53rd minute. Marvin Ekpateta's own goal got Cholton a point with Curtis Fleming in temporary charge. Johnny, obviously, we've been here before with Cholton sacking Dean Holden. We talked about that. Michael Appleton <laughs> came in. Big names are linked for this Charlton job. I mean, they've been linked with every man and his dog. I think I've even been called <laughs> to try and type for Charlton in this January window, um, if I'm being honest. Um, Appleton's gone. Not a great surprise. It turned very toxic quickly at the Valley after their defeat to Northampton in the week. Nathan Jones, Mark Warburton are linked. I actually don't know where Charlton turns to now. It feels like they tried every solution and it hasn't worked since Lee Bowie is gone. I mean... Where do they go from it? Because it's just a bit of a soap opera at Charlton, isn't it? All these different new owners and new managers and new players coming in. You, you just don't know anymore with Charlton, do you? Even they probably don't know as a club. No, no, no the other one I saw was Alex Neal as well. I think that they're, they're linked with him as well. It's like, it's just like gambling. Like the game yesterday, Blackpool will be so annoyed. They should have won that game. They had so many chances. And I, and I, I, I don't know if you saw the... the the uh, open goal by Jordan Rhodes, who you would least expect to miss yeah. from two yards. And I'm still watching it and I'm going, how, how, how did he actually had a back pass it to the keeper from two yards for a guy that's a, probably one of the best finishers in the league? Um, and then, but Charlton didn't help themselves. That I don't know what they were doing in defence. It was like trying, it was comedy defending. They were trying to play the ball out from the back. So many times. That's great if you've got Van Dijk and you've got whatever, but you can't when you can't rely on players in League One to do that, and that cost them eventually for the goal. Um, but then Blackpool did the favour back to them. They played pinball defence at the back, and Alfie May's shot hit two defenders and went in. Um, neither team will be happy with that result. Charlton, Charlton are sucked into you know four, was it four points above the relegation zone, and sliding down further and further. Um, if Alfie May gets injured, what happens for them? Like, it's, it's you know, we've talked about him before. You know, he's, he's a quality finisher. Um, Manager-wise, Appleton, you know, proven history. Da, 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 da. Whoever's mentioned next, proven history. Da, da, 
we, we, one of us three could probably do it and do the same job, to be honest. It, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say because, you know, I, I, I didn't expect Charlton to be down this end of the table at this stage of the season. Um, they've got some good players. They've flattered to deceive. They don't seem to have, I don't know what the word is, the mental strength. I hate using that about mental health and whatever, but it, it's it's like, how does the team fall apart that quickly? But will they then do an Exeter? Because we said that about Exeter yeah. falling down the league. Will they find some resilience and find some way to bounce back? But then that comes from the top and it comes from the manager and it needs a manager that could do Would Boya go back there? I, I don't know. Would it be a Chelton kind of person that inspires that in the players to get them safe. All they need to do is stay up this season. That's their that's their option. Is there someone out there that can do that? Blackpool, um they'll I, I, I don't I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I, I think they're just not good enough. I just you know I think Rose got injured yesterday as well, which um is a you know is a big impact for them. Um, they're just not good enough. They're just not quality enough. They just can't close games out. That should be a three points for them yesterday. It wasn't. Charlton, Charlton would be so pleased with the, with the point. Um, Curtis Fleming, is he an option for them as a permanent manager? I don't know. Is he <laughs> is he worse or better than anyone else at Charlton at the minute? Like manager, managerial merry-go-round that, you know, club the stacking managers and hoping that something works. It's 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 crazy. And um yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in <laughs> Charlton Enders, the next soap opera. That's a great line. And the, for Blackpool, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because when they just look like they're going to really start to kick on, they get a bit of a result that does knock them back. They've had that a few times this season mm. now, which, of course, still keeps them just outside the playoff picture. But I do think they will be right involved, whether they're going to be in it at the end of the season or just outside it remains another question. Uh, let's talk about Reading. They drew one all yesterday with Leighton Orin. Uh, quite a good point, actually, for Reading. When you consider how well Leighton Orient had going, they'd not conceded for five matches. Um, and the last time they conceded was when they conceded a third away at Bolton on the 23rd of December. So they'd gone just over a month without conceding. Obviously, we'll talk about this game um, and then we'll talk about sort of an update on what had gone on with Reading off the pitch because they are in the news. I think it is one of the clubs that a lot of people are talking about in England because of the protests, of course, which they did abstain from. Yesterday, of course, Reading and Orin actually sort of in unison. Um, of course, I can't repeat what they obviously said, but uh, didn't go on the pitch and obviously sort of chanted together about the issues and, and everything's sort of gone on. Um, look, I've not been Ruben Sayers' biggest fan. I've been quick to sort of criticise him, but I will give him some defence. I think his, his job is getting even harder now by the day. Saleable assets are going. There's a bit of a fire sale at Reading. Abby's gone. McIntyre's going to go. Smith could go. Um, so basically they are raising cash now because of course the owner still isn't wanting to sell. Um, he's recognizing the circumstances are tough, but to be fair, Johnny, making a good fist of it, to be fair. Good point yesterday. I mean, you know, any point you get at the moment is vital in the current predicament, isn't it? Yeah, like we had 20 points in the last 12 games. You know, that's that's huge. You know, from a team that you know we've been, as you know, like you know, I can sit here till tomorrow and talk about the problems at the club. Um, you know, rumors about McIntyre going. I, I Hopefully he won't, but you know we don't know that the owner is. You know he's not doing anything for the club. The sell before we die campaign is ongoing. The 
you know, the abandonment against Port Bell needed to happen. We needed to do something to make people listen. We needed to stand up for our club. Um, it was peaceful. Um, but that was that was about the club. Since then, it's about the team. And, you know, it proved it on, you know, Derby game. It proved yesterday. We let, you know, players don't need to have that hanging over them every game wondering if there's going to be a tennis ball coach, it's going to be this, everything's going to be off the pitch now. It's, it's done, it's proved its point. And now, we, you know, we're, everyone's behind the team. And Sellers, like, you know, you, you've been his critic, Matt, we, we talked about him. He's yeah. learning. He's learning on the job in very difficult circumstances where, you know, we've lost Abby, who's a class young player. Um, Tom Holmes has been sold to Luton, but loaned back yesterday. Unfortunately, I think he was dreaming of the streets of Luton when he gave away a penalty yesterday and flapped his arms around him. You know, Luton's a loving place. Um, but what ha- what's going on with the team is that we've got spirit and we've got unity. Um, we're really hard to beat now. You know, we lost to Wigan 1-0 the other week, but we're not an easy team anymore. You know, at the start of the season, we had some bad results and it was a lot of things going on. Sellers has kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's changed his... Uh, approach, um, the formation. Um, he's got a settled kind of, you know, 11, 12, 13 that he can pick from because we haven't got much more than that. Um, but he's doing the club proud and the players are doing the club proud. That's all we can ask for as fans. You know, it, they're giving it a go. Harvey Nibs, Sam Smith have been, you know, quality signings in the circumstances. You know, Charlie Savage has been a bit out and in and out of the team, but... Um, Jarrell Dorsett has been playing left back. It's, it's been it's been tough, but Orient, you know, to their credit, are a very good, well organised side. Um, the, the the sad part yesterday was um, the the racial abuse that uh, happened from an idiot of a Reading fan towards the lad that scored the penalty. Um, I don't know him. I've never heard of him, but it's horrible. No need for that in, in football. Um, we're not that sort of club. No one is that sort of club. No excuse for it. He deserves all he gets. And apologies to Orient and him, fans. It's just disgusting. Um, but, you know, Orient, I think 553 minutes, they did not let a goal in before we scored. So that's the positive. Um, it was one of those games where it just lacked a bit of quality, you know, Huffed and puffed, and and a point was a fair result, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And but for us, it's, a, it's another point. We've got we got to go to Oxford next week, um, which you know fans will love. It will be a, you know, up, doesn't it? Just a bit. Yeah, absolutely, and and it does, and and you know that that's going to be a real you know proper derby match, and we we you know we're we're still we're still fighting, we're still we're still doing you know I think you know we've got quality on the pitch to stay up and I think we will be okay it just depends what happens with regards to transfers and you know to lose two of our well one temporarily has gone back and back but Abby's a young England under 20 international who's class what you know it's a fire cell the owner's just basically not doing anything for the club the cell before we die campaign is up in the pressure on everyone the pitch invasion caused national press to jump on board at last to actually see what the problem is at Reading. We're not the first club. We won't hope. We hopefully will be the last club that has to go through this because things need to change. The ownership mm. issues need to change. Um, but like back to football, you know, it's 
it's what it is. And, and you know, I'm you know I'm proud of the team and I'm proud of the spirit of the, the club. And you know, so much stuff going on behind the scenes. You know, bills not being paid for the catering staff. So the you know it's people have left. People are eating micro meals as players. The women's team and the Wolves women's team got food poisoning after a game last week. It, it, it's just, you couldn't make it up. It's like some kind of comedy sketch, uh, sadly. But what it does, it brings people together as a football club and united in spirit to go, you know, we're, we're going to fight for our club. Um, we care. We all care. And we don't want this to happen to any other club, you know. And um, Orient, Orient are a good club. They're a, they're a very organised team. And they'll, they'll, you know, they'll keep improving. Um, I, I again, like was it ten points off playoffs? I would kind of maybe give them a sneaky outside chance of getting in there if they got to continue this run, the form that they've been on. So we'll see. So you know, yeah. Yeah, the six unbeaten are late tonight, and as you mentioned, of course, they were the first side in six games to actually score a goal. Past Leighton Orient and of course Richie Wellens' side going very well there. And they can certainly relate to the issues they've had um, with what Redden are going through at the moment, of course, with their Italian owner Francesco Pacetti a few years ago. And of course, actually fell out of the Football League. So, of course, they no doubt have a lot of sympathy and empathy with Redden and their predicament. Uh, let's move on to the final two games. We'll start with Lincoln and Peterborough. Back to back nil nil draws for uh, Lincoln, Chris. A positive that you kept a clean sheet against Peterborough and Derby, two sides who could end up actually be in the top two. That's not from the realms of possibility, but it's a concern, the fact that you obviously are not scoring goals. It's obviously, you know, sorry to tell you this, Lincoln fans, obviously Chris should probably be aware of this. It's nine without a win, scoreless in five games in that nine. It does feel like Joe Taylor's gone in, who, by the way, I think is an excellent piece of business, to be fair. I like the way he sort of plays. He's very much head down, wants to be direct, getting on the end of things, getting in the box. Against Derby missed some very good chances. yesterday. You know, obviously, you know, maybe didn't quite have the same sort of amount of chances. So positives from yesterday, but there is still a bit of an underlying, maybe negativity about Lincoln Chris. And, you know, obviously, a bet, no better person to speak to about it. I mean, it's got to feel like a real mixed bag, but also feel a little bit flat at the same time with what's going on at Central Bank at the moment. Uh, if you'd ask me that question on New Year's Day, I would 100% agree with you. Um, story of Lincoln's season, really, under Mark Kennedy. Uh, Lincoln were pretty passive. Very sim- lots of similarities to be honest, between Lincoln and Shrewsbury, I would say, in terms of system style and reasonably solid defensively. But you know, they'd be pretty good at limiting sides, but really quite passive defensively, allowing opposition to dictate the games. And and since Michael Skibola has come in, things have changed a little. Uh, but he's kind of had his, his hands tied a little, losing our two kind of big name centre forwards, Ben House and, and Tyler Walker, early in the season. It's in a real struggle from that offensive side of the pitch. Um, and I think Lincoln fans are desperate to see some change in that regard with a new manager. And there's, there's been flashes, but he has had his hands tied a little bit with, with just the lack of options up front. Joe Taylor coming against huge. Also a returning Freddie Draper, who's had a fantastic loan in League Two at Walsall. Um, so we've, ever since those two have been available, they've played as a front two uh, in Wickham two games ago. Got a deserved point, last-minute equaliser, but Lincoln were really good going forward in that game. And against Derby last week and then Peterborough yesterday. And it's really strange because under Mark Kennedy, even under Michael Appleton before that, in the last three or four years, we've seen a lot of nil-nil home draws. Um, and I have to admit, the last two games are two of the most exciting games I've seen in Central Bank in, in recent times. And we've been 
really positive in an attacking sense. Lincoln deserved to win yesterday. And I like to think I'm reasonably objective when I come to analyse Lincoln City. Um, 1.52 XG, got over 1 XG in the last three games, um, which hasn't happened much this season, to be honest. There, really, there has really been a real shift. But maybe similar to Exeter, there's been a shift without the results yet, or without the win yet. The, the, the performances have significantly improved. Um, results, two good results, you know, a draw at home to Derby and Peterborough, and no one's going to turn those down. Um but getting a W in that column is going to be huge for the club. But I think there's a real sense of positivity around the club at the moment with Lincoln. Yeah, it's almost like a brand new front line. And a special mention to Freddie Drake because he is superb. Absolutely superb. He's not going to be at Lincoln very long, I don't think. He's uh, 19 years old, plays like he's 30. Um, so <laughs> intelligent, just strong as an ox. He's, he's, he's superb. Really gives a... Him and, him and Taylor work really nicely up top to, with each other. So, yeah, I, I think from a Lincoln City perspective, it's into the bigger picture. There's... there's there's some real positivity, um, despite the runner on. Because they look, you look at the stats, you think, hang on, this is looking a bit ropey. But the last couple, three games in a row, really, ever since we had a 10-day break after New Year's Day, a few new signings and, and a week on the training pitch from Michael Scubola to get his ideas across, it's been chalk and cheese, really, in terms of performances. So, yeah, I do personally feel that a win isn't, isn't far away. Um, for Peterborough, I think they were disappointed yesterday. I think... As a Lincoln fan, I'm always going to have road tinted glasses. I feel we, we defended superbly and, and really limited Peterborough. I think Kwame Poku not being in the team again makes a big difference to them. Johnson Clark Harris, of course, on the bench again. But um, for our Lincoln City podcast, we had we, we previewed this game and I looked into a load of attacking metrics. And when you look into all these metrics, the normally will be like a standout here and there. So, for example, Shrewsbury were pretty poor in a lot of attacking metrics, but they're good at other things. Um, or you might have a good statistic for, for one element, but it kind of evens itself out in others. Peterborough were first for almost every attacking metric and they were first by a mile. So they are by far the best attacking team in the league. And for them to create just 0.68 XG, I think is A, credit to Lincoln City's defensively, but also I think maybe they, they couldn't quite get the domination of the game that they're frankly used to. Um, so yeah, I think nil-nil was was probably, a, a draw was a fair result. Like Lincoln did have the better of the chances um, but Peterborough had the, the lion's share of possession. So overall, I think it's a fair result. I think we will be delighted with the point. But more importantly than the point, it was the performance and, and the real attacking intent, which is something that we've been starved of, to be honest, for the majority of this season. Um, and it looks like, you know, like I said, so many similarities between us and Shrewsbury, really, in that regard. And it looks like they've turned the table in that regard as well. So, yeah, I think from a Lincoln perspective... February's big, but there's a few winnable games there. From a Peterborough perspective, next home, next game at home to Wigan, I think that gives them an opportunity just to kind of get back another W back in the column. But I think from a Peterborough perspective, the next two or three days in the transfer window will be quite big as well. Well, you talk about winnable games in February. I mean, for the entire month, you're playing sides all below you in the table. Burton yeah. away first and Fleetwood at home, Charlton away, Exeter at home, Port Vale away and Shrewsbury at home. So, I mean, you know, you talk about that, that's 18 points to play for. And if you talk about how they've had a lot of chances and not scored, you probably think by the law of averages, then they're probably due to give someone a battering. So, uh, if you're Burton Albion, maybe in the next game, then potentially watch out if you base it off on that logic. And of course, Darren Ferguson was a little bit salty yesterday uh, after the draw against Peter uh, against uh, Lincoln. He was almost accusing Lincoln of celebrating like it was a cup final after that nil-nil draw. And of course, got cautioned again. His discipline really is... Uh, Certainly not one that's um, certainly getting praised, is it? He's one card away from a third touchline ban of the year, is Darren Ferguson. So he has got to be very, very careful as he once again is bemoaning about the fishers with, of course, his dad, 
uh, the great Sir Alex, in attendance yesterday. Uh, and then the final game of the weekend, Cambridge nil, Burton nil. Uh, Burton played 25-plus minutes with 10 men after Steve Seddon was sent off for two yellow cards, all in quick succession. He kicked the ball away for descent, which was needless, and then he needlessly got a second yellow card by going through the back of Jack Lancaster. A lot of credit has to go to Burton for the game. Defensively, they frustrated the life out of Cambridge. Um, defensively, stood firm, you know, very much protecting Max Crocombe, very deep. Obviously, as you'd expect with them, down to 10 men. Just felt with Cambridge, though, in the game, they just didn't have that real ability to try and change what they had. They were very much just put crosses into the box towards Lyle Taylor, who was marshalled very well in the game by the Burton defence. I mean, he's one of those players where he's not the most sort of mobilist of players, but what Lyle Taylor is, is very good in the box. If you give him time, he is very sort of two-footed. He is quite nimble, more with the ball at his feet than in the air, which is a surprise given his height. But fair play to Burton. They did a very good job of that. Um, you can see improvements in Cambridge. I, I was always a fan of Neil Harris's appointment. I think, you know, they've taken, I think it's around about 12 points from 24, which is quite a good return. Or possible 24, I think it is, um, since he came in. So I think they've done very, very well in that sense since he sort of um, come in. And what was quite interesting, actually, about Burton was that uh, Martin Patterson, um, sort of in a bit of a raspy, hoarse voice, given he'd been shouting all the game. Uh, if you've not seen it, was very honest about Bez Labala, who, judging by what he said, is off. He had a contract sort of till January after he was released by Blackpool um, in the summer. Um, basically said he had an offer that was probably one of the highest in the current squad at Burton. Two separate meetings with the player and he said he doesn't ultimately want to play for the club. There's been a lot of stories of that in the EFR. Aaron Collins at Bristol Rose, Alex Pritchard at Sunderland. And now Bez Labala seems to be doing the same. So a decent start for Martin Patterson, three games into management. He's got four points. Maybe on a different day, he could have had an unbeaten start. Of course, Derby did score late on in the sort of Staffordshire sort of Derby back a couple of weeks ago. Well, that is it. All 24 sides have been covered in this League One episode, of course. Thank you, as ever, for tuning into this episode and for all the episodes that you previously uh, tuned into as well. We'll keep the content coming. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you again very soon for another episode of the Real EFL League One podcast. My thanks goes to Johnny Hunt and to Chris Lammy for all their wonderful analysis and insight into the sort of games that they covered and the teams that they spoke about. Thanks as ever to them once again and thanks to the listeners. We hope you have a lovely week and we'll see you very soon. Bye. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.